Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. to get started (laughs) i am i was like is it me am i the drama i don't think i'm the drama you're always the drama (laughs) speaking of drama we were just talking about before we started recording how you poked your eye this or you touched your eye with product on your hand oh my god so you put the fucking chemicals on your face and then you're supposed to like wash your hands so i rinse my hand mm-hmm. I can't tell you if there was soap involved I was very tired it was maybe 8pm <laughs> past your bedtime <laughs> bedtime so I like mm-hmm. touch my eye and it was like instant locked like you've done it before surely oh yeah your eyelid is like Joop. you cannot open it don't tell my cats but I think I have a cat allergy yeah most people do What I think happens is cat hairs, I think, get lodged in my eyelashes. This is so gross. And maybe it's false. I don't know. And then it inflames my eyes. Who are we to tell you if something's false? We don't know. (laughs) I I really don't know either. (laughs) Who do we? Who are we? Who am I? We don't know what's going on. But when you go to the doctor, the eye doctor, and they watch you put your contacts in, you always lie, right? About how much you wash your hands. Fuck yeah. Same. Eric was at our dentist, like we have a dentist that we both go to, and he was at the dentist's office and he was like, oh yeah, this time I don't have to lie about how often I've been flossing. And she goes, what do you mean? (laughs) Oh no. And he was like, you know how everyone lies to you about how often they floss. And she goes, why would anyone lie to me about that? Because of shame. He was like, how do you not know this? Everyone lies to you. I floss every day. I actually do, too. And then my dentist had the nerve to be like, well, you know, you really want to get, like, around the tooth. And I was like, I floss every day. How are you shaming people that don't floss? Because I know them. (laughs) They did the same thing to me. Yeah. In their words, they were like, you need to get around the tooth. And in their action, they were like, you need to try and pull your tooth out directly out of your gums. I was like, no. God damn. Why are you hurting me? Yeah. When the dentist flosses my teeth, I'm like, you are, I'm not doing that. I could tell you right now. I don't know how to tell you this. On a scale of me to you, I'm I'm leaning me. (laughs) I am not. All day. I am not hurting myself. Period. Yes. (laughs) I'm a flosser, like. You tell me to floss, I floss. You tell me what Same. mouthwash to buy, I'm going to buy it. Tell me what to do. If if three out of five dentists agree on it, I'll do it. I agree. Yeah. That's Same. all I need. <laughs> what I really wanted to do this weekend was go to Sam's Club. I love Sam's Club. Mm-hmm. And we got three or four. No, that's a lie. I think we got five things of toothpaste. <laughs> Are you stocking up for something big? No. I just oh. saw it. I was like, ooh, my favorite toothpaste. And I love that Oh, toothpaste. my God. <laughs> Sam's Club is a trap. And then I got that s'mores snack. I love s'mores more than anyone. The bag is empty, friend. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever made you. a microwave s'more? No, but will I do it? Yes. you got to try that. I like um, graham crackers, too. Like, I'll just eat graham crackers. I don't really care about an individual graham cracker, I'm going to be honest. I do. Really? Like, it's weird. If I have something to dip a gram in, I'll eat a gram. No, I think I was raised in a house that... In which I believed that crackers, <laughs> plain crackers, were a snack. Yeah. 
<laughs> you were. <laughs> and I'm sorry. There's no dip there. There's no dip. Do you just want a graham cracker? Yes or I no? I mean, the answer for me is no thank you. <laughs> the answer for me is yes, and now I'm thinking about it. Oh, you guys were deprived. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's deprived, yeah. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready to learn. You ready to do it? Mm-hmm. You're scared? You no, I like this stuff. I actually know a little bit about it. Well, I know what it is. Okay. Which is... You just feel free to jump in at any time. Oh, I don't know enough because... to add value. I just know enough to say, oh, yeah, I know about that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think most people know that much about this. Because I feel like part of it is there's been lots of TV shows and movies and stuff like that that have a character yes. doing this. Yeah. And I was about to talk about a book that I recently read that is fantastic and features a storyline about this. And then I was like, oh, it ruins... The book, if I say... Oh, then don't mention it. I won't. Um, however, maybe I'll mention it later and not say that this is what it is. But today, I'm going to tell you and the Malpals about a disorder that is very interesting and very strange. And then I'm going to tell you the story of one of the most notorious female serial killers of all time, Beverly Allett, also known by her moniker, The Angel of Death. I was expecting you to hear Angel of Death and go bum, bum, bum. Oh, sorry. Bum, bum, bum. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this disorder, which is, I'm going to be honest, one of the most stressful things I've ever read about to prepare an episode is called Factitious Disorder Imposed on Another, or FDIA, more commonly known as Munchausen Syndrome by proxy. How did that, um, those two names are very different. Yes. So I can tell you about the origin of Munchausen syndrome, the name. It was described in 1951 by a doctor named Richard Asher, but it goes back a really long time. And the name was after this guy who was in the German military in the 18th century. His name was Baron von Munchausen. Mm-hmm. He went away to fight in a war with the Turks, and he came back with all these stories of like fictitious illnesses basically got it so like famously fictitious illnesses but then they revisited the name munchausen syndrome i think it was in 2016 like the american psychiatric disorder association or i'm probably making that entirely up but it was something like that we wouldn't know whoever gets to name psychiatric disorders (laughs) basically got together and was like let's give it a, a better name okay and so that's where the fdia came from yeah that sounds like a good name yeah Basically, it's super mysterious and probably very rare, but it's really difficult to diagnose. And as soon as I describe it, it'll make sense why it's really hard uh, to diagnose. So in short, Munchausen disorder is when someone who is not actually ill fakes an illness or fakes the symptoms of an illness. And then Munchausen by proxy is essentially when you do that to someone else And it's usually someone who is in your care. So typically the person with the disorder is the caretaker and the victim of Munchausen by proxy is like a child or a dependent spouse or um, like an elderly. Like an elderly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Or someone who's disabled, something like that. Right. Yes, I had a question and then I freaking forgot it. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. I had okay. like a Don't you hate it when this happens? Yes, it's the worst. I was like, "Oh, don't forget to ask this question, you idiot." Literally said to myself. And then What is it? 
I'll, it'll come to me. Do you want me to give you a second or you want me to keep going? Honestly, it's just six and one half. Do we cut this part or keep it in? <laughs> no, keep it in. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, beep, boop, bop. Okay, so no one really seems to know what causes this or how common it is. Oh, I remember the question. Do it, yeah. So you can have Munchausen syndrome separately and then also by proxy? Yes, you can have it okay. in yourself. And that's basically mm-hmm. you're either causing physical injury to yourself or you're, like, faking symptoms of a, a disease that isn't real. But it's you, yeah. not harming somebody exactly. else. Got it. I'm glad you asked that. I don't know if I knew that people had it mm-hmm. just themselves. I don't know if I knew that. Interesting. But the weird thing is a lot of times people who have... Munchausen by proxy later in life, they start with Munchausen in their early life. Do people just think they're like hypochondriacs? So it's actually different. This is so weird. Um, And I'm really glad you asked this. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You're asking great questions. You're firing on all cylinders. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know things. It's different from being a hypochondriac because people who are hypochondriac actually think that there's something physically wrong with them. Whereas in Munchausen or or FDIA is the more you know it's a better term accepted yeah. term now yeah um, that person knows that they're fabricating evidence oh shit really yes oh okay this is so they juicy. <laughs> they know they're doing it but they can somehow in their head justify it okay how so how it, is that do we know how they justify it no um. It's like a psychological disorder. Yes, or a it is classified disorder. as a mental disorder or a mental illness. Okay. But it's also classified as a form of abuse. Yeah. Because it often, like we said, takes the form of a caretaker making someone in their charge sick on purpose. And they know that they're doing it, but they're able to justify it in their head, which is which is re- really weird and interesting. That is really weird. Interesting. Okay. And... The other really weird thing about it is no one seems to know exactly what causes it, and they also don't know how common it is, since tricking medical personnel is one of the hallmarks of the disease. Like, tricking a doctor into believing this thing is real is a hallmark of the disease, you know? Interesting. Okay. So because of that, it's really difficult to assess how common it is because a lot of cases go undetected. But the current estimate, if you can get a reliable estimate, it suggests that about 1,000 out of 2.5 million cases of child abuse are related to FDIA. Okay. That's a lot, I feel like. But it's still it's still pretty rare. Of 2.5 million total, only 1,000 of those are FDIA related. Estimated. But when you can... Yes, estimated, right? Because it's so hard That's to also diagnose. a lot of two, child abuse cases. <laughs> It is a lot of child abuse cases, like a stressful number. Like, what is going on out there? Good question. Stop. And typically they think that FDIA is committed in order to gain the sympathy or special attention that is given to people whose loved ones are actually ill. That's sick. So basically these people see, you know, a a mom, for instance, whose whose kid has cancer, they're getting lots of attention and they're getting lots of um, praise for being a good caretaker. Right. 
And it's like they see that. Is it ever monetary? So it is sometimes. I'm going to talk about a case in a second where they basically tricked like the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Oh, shit. So it can be monetary, but typically it is not monetary. It's just like attention seeking. That's so sick. Yeah. That's gross. Yeah. It's doctors and medical researchers and psychologists think that it's caused by a history of Potentially, like, abuse or neglect as a child. Possibly the early loss of a parent in childhood may be a factor in development. I mean, that makes sense, but it's still wrong. Yeah. And then some some studies suggest that major life stress, like, for instance, if your marriage is going badly or... Um, what are some other things that could be stressful? <laughs> Whatever. Stress. In your life. <laughs> like work? Yeah, yeah. Work stress. Like you lose your job? So something like that. Like a big life event that is very stressful may trigger an FDIA episode because it's like in that case you need to feel like a good caretaker for some reason. Yeah. So it is considered a form of mental illness. So we're going to talk about some of the hallmarks. The person being made sick is usually a child, most often under the age of six, although the victim is sometimes, like we said earlier, elderly or potentially disabled, like something that would require care from a primary caretaker. This is very weird to me. I don't know why, but it is most often seen in mothers. Well, probably because they're usually the caretaker. Yes, that's probably true. Um, it's also most commonly seen in mothers with either healthcare jobs or medical knowledge, although sometimes found in, in other people in the primary caretaker role, like nurses, who are not related to the to the child. Some of the other hallmarks are generally the caretaker causes symptoms that lead to lots of doctor visits or hospitalization. And typically that person will find a way during those visits to draw praise to themselves about what an excellent caretaker they are. So they make their devotion to the patient super evident. So they'll be like really cooperative with the medical staff. They'll keep detailed records. They'll have lots of like evidence of the illness that will point back to them and how good they are as a caretaker. Isn't that weird? That's just so gross. Yeah. And like seeking validation. Yes, exactly. And so some of the other like consequences of FDIA are, uh, or some of the other like symptoms that you may see in, in someone presenting with a loved one causing them harm as a result of FDIA, like a history of many hospitalizations, right? Strange symptoms that are not easily explainable by one condition. Mm, It's like multiple conditions. Yes. And a lot of times the caretaker will come in because they often have medical knowledge. They'll come in and be like, I think it's this, 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 and this, right? They'll have a whole list of, of conditions that they think it is, which is really weird. And how sad for the child or the yes the person who needs help. Yeah, and it's super hard because you trust this person as your caretaker, and they're the ones who are lying to you, and in often cases they're making you sick. That's so sick. So often the caretaker will report symptoms that aren't present in front of hospital staff. So one of the most common ones here um, is like apnea. Like sleep apnea, so a baby or a child will like stop breathing 
and it will be the caretaker suffocating them. Ew. In their sleep. Jail. Yeah. Straight to jail. It's this whole episode is bad. It's it's rough. Um immediate jail. Straight to Insta immediately. Jail. Do not pass go. Jail. Do not collect two hundred doll hairs. Or an institution. I don't care. Maybe both. One and then the other, perhaps. It can be the case sometimes that like diagnostic tests can't confirm the symptoms. Right? So they'll be in the hospital, let's say the the caretaker has said they have a history of lots of fevers. And then they'll do diagnostic tests, and it's like, well, we can't confirm that they have fevers. Why is that, right? How do you confirm you have fevers? Is that, how do how does... I think they just take their temperature. <laughs> oh, I'm like, is there like a record somewhere where they're like, this child's had 74 fevers? No, the nurse just comes in with like a oh, thermometer. So the, the parent could be like, they have fevers all the time. Yes. And she's at a smooth like 98.6 consistently. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that brings me to the next one, which is like symptoms may improve when the patient is in medical care and then return when they go home. Immediately, no. Jail. I mean, that's that's a really big red flag. Like, that's a scarlet flag. Hello. Like, if it's only when the person is around the child that this happens, straight to jail. It reminds me, it's, it's giving me when Michael Scott wanted Stanley to be calm and so he was doing yoga and Stan Lingy's heart machine was beeping only when Michael Scott was coming by and he was like just step back just step back and he realized it was him give me some space that's what it's giving yeah it's I mean it's basically that it is but if Michael Scott was around him all the time yeah (laughs) and then the last one and this is like this one is impossible to miss, right? Unknown or harmful chemicals in blood tests. Jail. Because. Straight oh, to yeah. fucking jail. In order to continue misrepresenting symptoms, it is not uncommon for the person with FDIA to poison their ward. That makes sense, though. Yeah. I mean, it's a good. No- it's like if that if you see that jail, just like immediately straight to jail. It's OK. I mean, it's like, why would. You, you can't let a child just go with, like, what harmful chemicals in their blood. Yeah. And I think that when they find that kind of thing is when they would trigger, like, a child abuse alert. But often it's things like like smothering a baby in their sleep, right? Like, how do you... Straight to jail. But it's so hard to diagnose. Like, sometimes physical injury can present itself, and that's very obvious. But, like, if a child has... So one of them is is an infection, basically taking germs and rubbing them into wounds on a child. Learned about that last week. Not into it. It's like I'm not. It's here so for hard it. to diagnose that, though, right? I think. Why does this child have an infection? Uh, I have so many feelings. They are crazy and extreme. Mm-hmm. But do it. Go. This is a this is a podcast for making wild accusations. I just think if it is a repeat situation Mm -hmm. and you cannot diagnose conclusively yes and i don't disagree with that but one of the other hallmarks is that if a certain doctor or hospital is unwilling to meet the demands of the perpetrator or they feel like they're getting close to being flagged as an abuser they will do this thing called doctor shopping where they just keep changing physicians until they find someone who will give them what they need. And I hear that, and I remember that from a show I watched, but Mm -hmm. I feel 
and I I felt this way ever since um we spoke to Bruce Sackman. Yeah, absolutely. Thought about him the whole time. That there should be mm-hmm. some sort of registry that we can track mm-hmm. medical personnel who are, you know, possibly serial killers. Yeah. And in the same way, you could create a registry around... Mm-hmm. Like flag this parent. Flagging the patient. Yeah, so that when they... Yeah. When you put their information in the system, it's like a little... You know, paperclip pops up and it's like, would you like help filing a CPS report? <laughs> like, I think it should be something like that because I think these aren't like once, twice. This is like. No, it's like reoccurring. I, I mean, yeah. there's so. And the risk for the child, like, or the per, the elderly person, whoever's in care, it's not worth it. Yeah. And the risk is really high, actually. Uh so studies have shown that the mortality rate is between 6 and 10%, which, if that were completely accurate, would make it the most lethal form of abuse. And there's, there we are. And that's that's it. So a registry feels like maybe the right thing to do. It's It's easy enough. So we talked about, like, poisoning being one of the things that people do. And I'm going to tell you the story real quick of one of the most famous cases that consumed a lot of media attention. There was this really popular mommy blogger named Lacey Spears. Do you remember this? No. When was this? Okay. Like 2015. Certainly. I wasn't reading mommy blog things. <laughs> oh, fair. Same. Were you? <laughs> no. No, I was not. <laughs> Cat mommy blogs. You're on a different page in that book. I did not even know what a mommy blog was in 2015. Don't come at me. <laughs> I barely know now. Same. So basically, this woman spent years convincing her like internet supporters to support her during what she claimed was like a mysterious illness of her beloved five-year-old son Garnett. What a cute name Garnett. Basically she convinced everyone that she was a really good mom doing the best she could you know she was tracking his illness and her kind of journey through trying to figure out what was wrong with him. Um, but according to one Rolling Stone article, she was convicted of murder in 2015 oh, damn. after her son passed away Aww. when investigators found the equivalent of 69 packets of salt in her son's feeding bag, which is enough to be a lethal dose. Of salt? Just table salt poured into his feeding <gasps> bag. Yeah. 69 packets of salt is a lot of it's salt. It's a lot of salt. So... In his feeding bag? Yeah. Oh, he was real sick. He had like a. Or an, was he even sick? No, he wasn't sick. It was her. <gasps> Aw, what a bitch. Just dosing him for years and years and years while running this like popular and profitable mommy blog about how to take care of a sick child. What was she dosing him with? A salt. Just salt. Just salt? Just lots of, lots of what table salt. What a fucking salt. freak. Yeah. Is she still in jail? Yeah, she is still in jail. Uh, She is currently serving a 20-year-to-life sentence for second-degree murder. Bye-bye. Basically. Why is it second-degree? That was a calculating bitch. So, this is so weird. If If the defense can prove that they have a mental illness... They often get second instead of first degree. It seems like in these cases with with, uh, FDIA, it seems like they often get second degree charges because they can prove that they are, like, mentally incapacitated. But don't—isn't this—isn't FDIA where they have 
a, a, a disorder. Mm-hmm. They're mentally ill, but they know what they're doing is wrong. They do know what they're doing is wrong, but the research that I've done seems to indicate that it is a severe enough mental disorder that they will classify it as second degree, like unplanned second degree murder. I think that's messed up. I don't know if I agree with it either. I just think like between you and me, like if you can be convicted and this is a psychiatric yeah. disorder, then they should be able to be convicted to the highest yeah. degree. I love that you said between you and me on a podcast. <laughs> so she's serving a life sentence as she should. Yes, correct. One of the other super weird components of this disorder is that tricking medical staff is a critical part of the caretaker's, like, role play. Right. That's crazy town. So, as is their role, when you come into the hospital, medical staff will react to the concerns of the perpetrator. And by attempting to help the victim, they unintentionally but actively enable the behavior yeah because the long-term goal is getting attention and when you give them attention you're enabling the behavior more that's so it's so hard right because what do you do you can't ignore a sick kid i'm over here trying to think about if i could ignore a sick kid and the answer is no 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 and nobody should right because in the in the most common cases it's not this right How do you get a child away from someone like this? It is so hard to prove, and I think that's why it's so often fatal, because it's really hard to prove that they're doing it until something has gone really wrong. And the symptoms are really unusual, so it presents as a weird medical case that defies like a simple explanation. So medical staff will often run additional tests and pursue unusual diagnoses which takes lots of time and effort to rule out and by doing that you're feeding even further into their behavior yeah isn't that hard like it's a hard thing to do to deal with as a medical staff it's like impossible oh it totally is there's another super famous case have you ever seen the show the politician on netflix sounds like something i'd watch it is very good i absolutely love it we need um, a new show. We just finished Mad Men. So. Okay. You need to go watch The Politician. You'll the politician. love it. Okay. The characters in it are really good. I personally love it. There's a little, there's a character in the show named Infinity Jackson, and she's essentially, in my opinion, based on this story. Um, so this is from a famous case in 2015. The mother's name is Dee Dee Blanchard. Oh, I have seen this. Yes. Okay. Okay, great. I think so. Or I just think I have. That's also possible. No, no. If you look up the pictures of these people, they are very recognizable. Like, you will recognize them. So, Dee Dee essentially faked her daughter, Gypsy, having cancer. So, Gypsy was this, like, small, frail girl confined to a wheelchair. She was always super pale. Dee Dee carried an oxygen tank around her with, like, a cannula looped under Gypsy's nose. People would ask her what was wrong, and Dee Dee would just be like, it's everything, right? whole host of illnesses everything from leukemia to epilepsy to sleep apnea like everything i do know this story and while she was doing this this is the financial one that i was talking about so Dee Dee 
ran a series of schemes, including like local fundraisers. She would host movie nights in her backyard and charge people fees for like popcorn and say it's going to Gypsy's treatment. So she would scam local fundraisers like charity trips to Disneyland. She met Miranda Lambert through Make-A-Wish. Like she tricked everyone. No. For years. This went on for years until one day this mysterious post on Dee Dee's Facebook appeared and it said, quote, the bitch is dead. Oh. And everybody, all their neighbors were like, sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) Is she not a uh, the bitch is dead kind of gal? She's not the bitch is dead kind of gal. She's like chipper and happy and like everybody loves her, right? She's a con artist, number one. Okay. So she, like everybody loves her. Concerned neighbors phone the police who come into the house to find Dee Dee, whose name they find out at this point is actually Claudine. She had a series of aliases, like I said, con woman. As you do. Face down in a pool of blood in their Missouri home. Oh, no. After being stabbed Sorry, to Dee Dee. death. Yeah. Yikes. Didn't mean to talk shit about you. (laughs) Oh, I mean, she's cuckoo crazy for sure. Yeah. Like, verifiably. But Gypsy, her daughter, her medications in her wheelchair are still in the house. And so police immediately start searching for her. They're like, she's probably been abducted or, or worse, right? They're looking for Gypsy. When they found her the next day, Gypsy was in Wisconsin with her boyfriend, who she had met online. And through a series of investigations, they find out that Dee Dee had been making her daughter pass herself off as younger than she was. So when they found her, Gypsy thought that she was 19 when she was actually almost 25. Oh, I mean, same. Because Dee Dee had just lied to her. I wish I was. I wish I thought I was 19. (laughs) I feel like I'm actually 45. I'm like, sounds good. I'm a grandma. Um, so basically she had been making her, her daughter pretend to be both mentally disabled and chronically ill. She had been subjecting her to unnecessary surgery, medications, and controlling her through physical and psychological abuse. Now, this is all from like the neighbors, the medical records, Gypsy's perspective, but it's probably true. I personally think it's true. I mean, immediately, if she thought she was 19 and she's 25. Yes. Something's up. Yes. Uh, During the trial, there's this expert named Mark Feldman, who's uh, an expert on fictitious disorders. He basically stated that this was the first case he had ever experienced of FDIA, which the child that was abused killed the abusive parent. Gypsy said, I have had enough of your bullshit today. She quite literally did. (laughs) There was a very public trial in 2018. It came out that Gypsy Rose, that's her full name. That is a name. It is quite a name. She had convinced her boyfriend, Nicholas Godijohn, over the course of about a year they had been talking about it, to murder her mother and end the abuse that Dee Dee was subjecting her to. So why did she not get off out of self-defense or something. She ends up taking a plea deal, uh, Gypsy does. She takes a plea bargain that also included her testifying against her boyfriend. That's messed up. Is a little messed up. She testified against him, was given a plea bargain, which is like a 10-year sentence, which she is currently serving. Nicholas, on the other hand, was convicted of first-degree murder. What? 
He That's did the stabbing. Right. He did the stabbing. They planned it for about a year. Okay, well, then she... Okay, it's either this. They're both got off or they both go to jail forever. There's no in-between. Yeah, but you know how plea deals work. If they could get her to testify against him... But why would they need to? I don't know if they needed more evidence. Essentially, I think, like... I think it's an easier sell to be like... My understanding, She it was is an abused, easier sell. which I'm not, yeah. di- I'm not disagreeing with. But I don't think... He's obviously got some shit going on, too. Yes. Shit is on... In this, in these here parts. I will say it gets a little complicated because during the trial, the defense had an expert witness who diagnosed him with autism. I have questions about this trial. I need to look into it more. I have a lot of questions, too. It was wild. I will say the prosecution took the possibility Missouri is a death penalty state for first-degree murder charges, they took the death penalty off the table, so he received a life sentence in prison. That's still fucked. It's a crazy story. Munchausen is always, or FDIA, is always a crazy story. We should cover that trial. We actually should. I almost, when I was doing this, I almost just switched my topic directly to this because I was like, this is so interesting. Let's do this next. Neither of these are the main story I have for you today, so let's get to that. Okay. There are a shocking number of these cases, and they always seem to draw lots of public fascination because they are wild. So if you're interested in hearing more of those, I attached a Bustle article, and that Bustle article is a great place to start because it has, like, eight of the most interesting cases, but I digress. So now we're going to talk about one of the most notorious female serial killers of all time, and that's Beverly Allett, also known as the Angel of Death. Dun, dun, dun. As you wanted from the beginning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's the appropriate sound effect to, to slip in after Angel of Death. <laughs> so your girl Bev was born in 1968, grew up in the village of Corby Glen in England. She was known around her small town as a great babysitter and caretaker. Oh, God. Red flag. Red flag. Immediately red flag. I was a terrible babysitter. That is so funny. So Bev leaves school at the age of 16 to pursue her passion, nursing. Why do you leave school to pursue your passion? Red flag number two. We already got two red flags. (laughs) I think it works different in England. Like, I think at this time, you could just leave high school and go straight into nursing, which, yikes. That feels stupid. Shouldn't. Short. England get... Get with your shit. That doesn't make any sense. I think maybe they have now, but this was like the 60s, and they're like, whatever. The 60s suck. Um, As a child, Beverly was also known to wear, like, bandages and casts over fake wounds to gain attention. That's the third red flag. I have for collecting red flags this episode. For those of you counting at home, that's number three. Third. However, I will say, who amongst us isn't guilty of wearing a fake bandage. You never did that? Me. I never did. Oh, I did. I think when I broke my arm when I was like five years old, I was like, this is not the shit. This sucks. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a win. I hate it. (laughs) I would like, when I was a kid, if I scratched one of my toes, I would make my parents put bandages on all the other toes so they didn't get jealous. (laughs) Yeah, you're a freak. Red flag. I'm a freak. Okay, red flag. (laughs) That's my toxic trait. I'll just own up to it now. Okay. Beverly, however, takes it to the next level. By the age of 16, she had convinced a local surgeon to take out a perfectly healthy appendix. This is the fourth red flag in 30 seconds. Uh Uh-huh. 
I tried to just stack them all up at the beginning, but they basically her whole life is a series of red flags. You're like, let me show you the flags. So during this time, she's also doing the thing I talked about earlier, doctor shopping, because lots of physicians refused to treat her complaints, but she didn't give up until she found one that would. So she's 16. I mean, she is resilient. She said, you can't tie me down. You can't tie her down. <laughs> Uh, unless it's for surgery, <laughs> you could do that. Unless, and she will tie herself down voluntarily. She wants it. Yeah. So she leaves to begin training as a nurse. She attended uh, Grantham College in Lincolnshire, where she was allegedly caught. Quick grossness warning: smearing feces on the walls. This is red flag number five. Probably number five and six because it's so disgusting. At minimum, Just two I, red I think flags for the price of one. Either a bigger red flag or a second red flag should be this one. This is like a red flag and red shoes. So you can walk around carrying all your red flags. What's redder than red? Like scarlet. It's like a scarlet. Yeah, this is flag. a scarlet letter situation. Yeah, agreed. Scarlet poop emoji. <laughs> scarlet poop emoji. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ew. Can <laughs> you change the color? No, you shouldn't be able to. That's gross. You should do that. That's gross. It's super gross. That's another red flag. That is surely a red flag. I don't even know where I don't even have words because I'm so alarmed at the number of red flags. Yes. If anyone in your life does that. Immediately, no. Seek help. Immediately. Immediately, straight to jail. Straight to jail. (laughs) (laughs) She had all these, like, fake illnesses, so she was missing classes a lot at nursing school, and that made her fail her nursing board exams. So she did super well. Got it. Now, here's the biggest red flag of all. Despite failing these exams, your girl Bev gets a job at Grantham and Kesteven Hospital in Lincolnshire in 1991, the year of our birth. As a state-enrolled nurse. So she gets a job. Ma'am. Failed her exams, gets a job. Failed all of her ex- her board exams. Failed her board exams. Puts poop on the walls. Gets a job. Leaves high school to become a nurse. Which, if Beverly can get a job, who amongst us? <laughs> Why am I not a nurse? <laughs> right? Okay, here's the next red flag. As soon as she gets this job, she gets assigned to Children's Ward number 4. I believe we're on seven red flags now. I think it's number seven. Now, as we get into her crimes, keep in mind... She's already committed at least 40 crimes that I know minimum, of. Just by existing. The poop smearing has got to be a crime. That is a crime. It's if a crime it's not against a- humanity. <laughs> that, <was good. laughs> that is a crime. That's disgusting. Straight to jail. Um... She committed all the crimes I'm about to talk about in a 59-day period, which, in my opinion, formed solely out of true crime binging, makes her an insane spree killer. So, yeah, there you have it. Um, also, huge trigger warning. All of her victims are children, and the next part is going to be a lot to hear. So take a second off if you need that. Don't listen if it... Don't listen if you need to stop. Yeah. Uh, just so you know, she's garbage. Yeah. That's the end of the podcast for those of you leaving us now. Yeah. Her spree starts on February 21st, 1991. Seven-week-old Liam Taylor is admitted to her ward with a possible case of pneumonia. She reassured little Liam's parents that he was well cared for and that she had their son in her capable hands, so they went home to rest for the night. When they returned the following morning, they were told that overnight he had had some respiratory issues but that he was recovering well. The next day, she was uncharacteristically insistent on working an extra night duty shift. Sounds like red flag number eight. Correct, Amundo. 
During this time, she was left alone with baby Liam, who began to code moments later. Number nine. Like, literally, she walks into the room, he starts to code. The code team was eventually able to revive him, but poor baby Liam had suffered from brain damage that would leave him permanently on life support, so his poor, grief-stricken parents were forced to make the decision to remove him from life support. His death was listed as heart failure, and at that time, no one even questioned Beverly. I'm questioning. Although the heart monitors had supposedly malfunctioned and she had quote-unquote caught the problem. No, you didn't. Another big-ass red flag. First of all, I just want everyone to know, I want everyone to know this. I started talking about red flags mm-hmm. not knowing that Sydney had put red flags in the, in the top. Just sprinkled. Just sprinkled everywhere. And so when I saw, you were like, oh, another huge scarlet red flag. Yeah. And I'm like, did I? manifest that language into this (laughs) you did you did it's all red flags from here on out like the end of every paragraph basically oh my gosh alert 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 okay all of this would have been alarming to me yeah thank you so much sydney for giving me another irrational fear i will never leave my child alone in the hospital you will have to drag me away You're going to be so attentive that they're going to be like, does she have Munchausen? <laughs> I am. I'm going to be like, let me bring out the books. Whenever your kid gets a cold, they're going to be like, ma'am, please. I will live here now. Thank you. Two weeks later, 11-year-old Tim Timothy Hardwick had suffered from cerebral palsy. No. And he was admitted after an epileptic seizure. So good old Bev volunteers to take care of him. Within a few moments of being left alone with him, Timothy's heart stopped. Moments? Moments. This is two heart-related situations straight to jail. Two weeks later. This is two weeks later. This is not a big cooling-off period. Right. Um. Okay, again, despite the efforts of the code team, they were unable to revive him. His death was attributed to epilepsy, even though there was no obvious cause of death. Well, then why are you attributing it to epilepsy? Why do people do that? If it looks weird, keep digging. Yeah. That... Put that on my gravestone. Agreed. If it looks weird, keep digging. That's our life rule. That's another one. I'm calling it. Life rule number 437 or whatever we're on. Period. If you are sus. Keep digging. Just keep going. At the beginning of March in 1991, one-year-old Kaylee Desmond was admitted to Children's Ward Number 4 for a chest infection, like a respiratory infection. Mm -hmm. She was, again, unfortunate enough to find her in Nurse Beverly's care. She was experiencing actually a really uh, miraculous recovery when five days into her care, she suddenly goes into cardiac arrest. She was successfully resuscitated, but the doctors noticed under her armpit, like a small pink mark in an air bubble, and they attributed it to like an accidental injection mark. And it was, and I quote to you, never investigated. I have 75 questions, but I'll just Mm -hmm. list two. One, how do you have an accidental injection? Can't answer that question, but it feels like a stretch. Feels like a red flag. Feels number like nine. A red flag. And the second feels question like a big I have old is: red flag. Don't they keep track of all the injections? Okay, that's a great question. So when the investigation happens later, it will come out that Beverly, quote unquote, lost her key to the medicines cabinet. 
They find all these medicines, like, stockpiled in her house. Beverly is a cuckoo crazy town. Right. I mean, that's clear on red flag number two. (laughs) We knew. She's the mayor of crazy town. This goes on for ten more instances that are recorded with Beverly as the nurse on duty during these mysterious cases of sudden cardiac arrest. What kind of morons? Before anyone noticed anything. You also let her work there with no nursing degree. It failed. <laughs> she failed. You failed the inspection. Yeah. You failed. Forever. Everyone fails in this story. That would be like, oh, my surgeon failed his surgeon boards. I'm just going to let him operate. What? So we are at this point at 13 instances. And about 47 red flags. Just. Correct. Easy. We lost count of the red flags. Oh, no. We're on 10. Oh, Okay, perfect. I thought we were on 12. No, I I keep it counts. Did you count the, the fact that she lo- quote unquote lost her key to the medicine cabinet? That's number 10. Okay, perfect. Well, this is number 11. So Oh god. 15 month old Claire Peck gets Mears. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm starting that over. <laughs> 15 Mears. I hate myself. I almost said years and then I was like months, no, months. <laughs> I'm leaving all this in. I thought you were going to say 15 meerkats. I don't know why. I, I wish it was why. 15 meerkats. I know. Me too. I, I just don't want to listen. I know. I'm sad. 15-month-old... Let me start that over. Mm-hmm. 15-month-old Claire was admitted to Beverly's ward following a severe asthma attack that required her to be put on a ventilator. That's so scary. A baby. As was her pattern... When she was left alone with the child, Beverly did something, and Claire suddenly went into cardiac arrest. Claire was stabilized and then left alone again with Beverly. Shortly thereafter, she suffered another cardiac arrest, and this time the doctors were not successful in reviving her. When an autopsy was performed, it was discovered that she had traces of lidocaine in her tissues, a drug that is potentially given during cardiac arrest but would never be given to a baby. Okay, are we about to get caught? Yes. So this autopsy initially indicated that Claire had died of natural causes, but Dr. Nelson Porter, consultant at the hospital, initiated an inquiry. Good job. So an inquiry in the UK, I think, is basically like an investigation. investigation. Yeah. They just have fancy words. We're going to inquire. You are arrested. That's what that means. That's fancy pants terms for straight to jail. Inquiry. So he's like, there are an unusual number of cardiac arrests over the previous two months in Ward 4, which again is a hospital ward for babies. He's like, look at all these red flags just like dropped around like Hansel and Gretel. What is happening here? Red flags everywhere. So initially the hospital's like, maybe it's like an airborne virus, but they found nothing. Duh, because it's Bev. And then they do another autopsy on baby Claire, and they find high levels of potassium in her blood, which, if there's potassium in the blood, it's one of the most common methods of, like, killing someone. So high levels of potassium in the blood automatically summons the police. Inquiry. Yeah. Okay. So... After the police get called, Stuart Clifton, the police superintendent assigned to the investigation, immediately suspects foul play. He's like, why are all these babies going into heart failure, right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Why does this woman not have a degree? Correct. They never said that. (laughs) Questions need answers. Well, maybe eventually they said that. He didn't say that. 
Maybe eventually they did. Hopefully they did. Maybe that changed some rules. Fingers crossed. Hopefully. But he's basically like, this is sus as fuck. He's not wrong. And he starts investigating the other suspicious cases. And in all cases, almost all of the cases, he found high doses of insulin, which can be used to initiate cardiac failure, as we know from Bruce Sackman. Brucington. Further investigation revealed at this point, they find out that she is missing the key to the insulin refrigerator as well. Eleven. Records are missing. They go to her house and they find the missing records at her house. Burn them! So, mor- you're a moron! Period. You're not even good at your job! You're not good at your job! Why are you keeping these? And you're not good at being Correct. a murderer. Double fail. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, they're super suspicious. They start investigating. They're finding all the suspicious stuff at her house. And in all of these cases, the children, the only things that these children have in common, they're coming in for different reasons. They have a high, a suspiciously high dose of either insulin or potassium in their systems and Beverly Allett as their nurse. That's what they have in common. By July 26th of 1991, police felt that they had sufficient evidence to charge her with murder. But it wasn't until November of 1991, the year of your girl's birth. The month of my birth. The month. I was like, this whole thing has been in the year of our Yeah, birth. but this is the month. <laughs> this is it. So that month she was formally charged. They said she was like very calm during the investigation. She denied any part in the attacks, insisted that she had merely been caring for the victims. At this point, she has been charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, and 11 counts of causing grievous bodily harm. Facts. Rack up some more. Yes, Correct. hit her with everything hit her with the book and they do actually throw the book they throw the book at her so she also has a head injury at this point because they threw the book at her book related head injuries so the trial gets delayed for like months because of her quote-unquote illnesses she finally goes to court in 1993 in february dang she really delayed the shit out of that she truly did for like two years she said hold on um during the trial, prosecutors call pediatrics expert Professor Roy Meadow, who testifies that she demonstrated classic symptoms of both Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by proxy. Mm. It After she's convicted, it was Professor Meadow's opinion that she would never be cured, making her a clear danger with to anyone who she might come into contact with. Jail. The trial lasted about two months. She attended only 16 days total due to illnesses. Just so sick. Yeah. She was convicted in May of 1993 and given 13 consecutive life sentences for murder and attempted murder. At the time, it was the harshest sentence ever delivered to a woman. But according to Justice Latham, who was the judge, it was, quote, commiserate with the horrific suffering of the victims, the family, and the ignominy she had brought to nursing as a profession. Period. He went on to say, I have found there is an element of sadism in her conduct and her offending, but that sadism itself, if not the result, is certainly a manifestation of her mental disorder, and it would be unduly simplistic to treat it the way as one would if the offender were mentally ill. So she's a sadist, basically, is what he's saying. Yeah. Agreed. By her actions, what should have been a place of safety for its patients was not just a place of danger, but if not a killing field, something close to it. Straight to jail. Forever. 
So she's convicted, given 13 life sentences for both murder and attempted murder. She's presently serving her symptom, her, her sentence at Rampton Secure Hospital, which is essentially a facility for the criminally insane, which was established by England's Mental Health Act. While at Rampton, she continually performed attention-seeking behaviors like we see in Munchausen. Mm -hmm. Like, this is super gross. Another red flag, obviously. At this point, her whole life is red flags, so whatever. It's so many. She was drinking fluids filled with ground-up glass. Mm Mm-hmm. Which sounds um, horrifying. It's not a bop. It's, it, it is not good. Just don't do that. She was also pouring boiling water on herself. Don't do any of these things. Don't do anything in this whole podcast. This entire thing, don't do it. She eventually admitted to three of the murders and six of the assaults. Wow. That's unhelpful as fuck at this point, but go on. Yeah, I mean, we know. You don't got to <laughs> tell us. You did it. Because of the nature of her crimes, I feel like, personally, we can all rest a little easier knowing that the courts also ruled she will never, ever, ever be eligible for parole. Never. So that's what I know about England's most notorious female serial killer, the angel of death, Beverly Allett. And that's what I know about factitious disorder imposed on another or Munchausen syndrome by proxy. That's what I know about it. And that's what we know about red flags. You see one? That's everything I know about red flags. That is every red flag I've ever seen in my life. Same. Same. So many red flags. So many. In all of these stories. So many flags and so many colors of red. Shades of red. All So many shades. The level. Scarlet. The spectrum of red that we saw. Yeah, maroon. Dark red. There's no more red flags in the world. They're all here. No. She's used them all. None for you. None for Gretchen Wiener. <laughs> well, that was terrifying. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this. We'll see you next week. Hit us up on our social meds or email us at malpracticepodcast at gmail.com if you have a reco for our next episode. Absolutely. Don't forget to leave us a review wherever you listen. Smash the subscribe button. We love it. We read them all, and we love you if you do it. And don't forget, malpractice malpractice makes perfect. perfect. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.